This week's John Tapp Racing Podcast is brought to you by Inglis, number one in its field. Melbourne jockey Stephen Baster has been on a roll in recent months and capped his good run with a dashing front-running ride to win the Geelong Cup on runaway for the Waterhouse Bot Stable during the week. The kid with the permanent smile had his first race ride in September 1991 but had to wait for his 12th or 13th ride to win his first race and that was on Grey Alley at Terralgan in December of 1991. That was the first of close to 1,500 winners uh, that he has on his CV today and 14 of those have been at Group 1 level. Stephen's first Group 1 win for Gay Waterhouse was on the Danehill Mare, Aqua d'Amour, in uh, the Futurity Stakes 11 years ago, but the trainer still seeks his services with her Melbourne runners. Steve would have been very pleased to see Runaway get a kilo and a half penalty for the Melbourne Cup, which brings him up significantly in the rankings and might now give him some hope of getting into the field. Great to talk to Stephen Baster, who's online now from Mornington. G'day, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Morning, John. Pleasure to be here. Steve, Runaway, uh, you had no hesitation taking him to the front in the Geelong Cup and he never, ever looked like getting beaten. Yeah, that's right. He um, he's he's been quite an impressive horse, really, because he he started off with us here in Melbourne and, and wasn't going well. And anyway, then we we discovered that uh, letting him roll along in front, even if you're not going the tempo you'd like to go, he tends to go a little bit quicker than what would like to go. Um, suits him. He just uh, he's very tough and honest, and uh, it was a big thrill to win on him for all the Geelong boys um, in their hometown cup. He just looks like he'll stay all day long, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He, um, he he won the St. Ledger, um, over 2,800, obviously, and then he ended up going to a two-mile race, but it was at the end of his campaign, and I, I think he was, he was, he'd had enough, so I don't think that was a true guide, so fingers crossed we get into the, into the big one, and uh, it'd be a massive thrill for the guys down at Rosemont Stud. Well, you were at Mooney Valley on Friday night, Manicato Stakes Night, and you came away with a lovely little double. You won on written choice for your old friend Logan McGill and Runson for Leon and Troy Corstens, and both winners, Steve, recorded very fast time on the night. Yeah, the Mooney Valley track, I actually galloped there on the, the previous oh, Tuesday and Saturday mornings, and... It's probably the best surface that I've ever galloped on in my whole career. It's uh, Marty Simon and that they've done a great job getting the track the way it way it uh, was. And on the Friday night, yes, it was uh, it was fast. It was uh, it was like galloping on carpet. So hence the fast times on the night. And lucky for me, I was on some fast horses. Now, Steve, I'm about to make an exclusive announcement about you, and I'm sure this isn't widely known. Stephen Baster. High-profile Melbourne jockey is a pommy. <laughs> Born in England, migrated with his parents uh, and sister when you were only two years of age. Why did Dad make that move such a long way? Um, look, uh, they they considered it to be wet, cold and miserable, so they were happy to, happy to get out and uh, <laughs> come to Australia, which... Uh, uh, yeah, so I think, well, obviously for me it was a good move and uh, I grew up in Brisbane and um, really enjoyed living here, obviously. 
You left school after year 10, Steve, with little idea of what you wanted to do, and you thought you'd just test the water in a racing stable during school holidays, and the first trainer you approached was a very high-profile one. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I did plan on going back to school. I just thought during the school holidays I'd give something a try, and, and you know, everyone said I was so short and little, I was like 28 kilos. Um, they thought I should I should give it a try at being a jockey, but I, I'd never touched a horse. So, uh, yeah, I ended up going to Roy Dawson's and, and got a job uh, as a stable hand with, with an opportunity to become an apprentice jockey if I enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, that's how, that's how it started. And he wasn't the last trainer you spent time with? No, I wasn't real tough in them days. I hadn't done a day's work in my life and <laughs> – uh, moving into the stables when I was 15 and, and working my little butt off uh, was a bit of a shock to the system. So I spent a month with Roy and then I went to another guy called Tony Hoare, lasted a month with him. And then I hit a bit of a jackpot. I ended up going to a guy called Tony Sears um, and his foreman at the time, Lindsay Hatch, who's still a great friend now. And they started me off at Pony Club. They had a property in between the Gold Coast and Brisbane and uh, – Sent me to Pony Club, um, Tony's wife, Lee, and uh, that gave me a lot of confidence and uh, spent spent a year with them and uh, they, they were um, a great help to me getting started in the, in the racing game. And I think it was Tony and Lindsay who actually organised your move to Melbourne and to Mark Riley. Yeah, well, Lindsay, Lindsay Hatch and um, Steve Brown, actually, um, trying to new Mark and... They thought it'd be a good opportunity for me. Mark was looking for an apprentice, and and uh, I, I jumped at the chance because obviously um, back in them days you had the racetrack magazine and and the turf monthly, and uh, you'd look at all the glossy pictures of all the all the boys riding down here, and I was a bit starstruck. So mm. I was very excited to uh, jump on the plane and head down here. Well, Mark Riley paid you the most amazing compliment in 1993 when he put you on a horse called Mukta in the Group 1 Oakley Plate. Now, what was so amazing about that? You were still claiming three kilos. Yeah, now that I, now that I look back at it, you know, I probably didn't appreciate it as much then. Um, now that I look back at it, it's amazing. You know, Mark Mark himself, is it, when he was a rock jockey, he won uh, the Oakley Plate on Mistress Anne for his dad when he was an apprentice. So mm. I was probably lucky that there was that connection because I couldn't imagine a trainer putting on a three-kilo kid in a Group 1 race these days, especially the horse started favourite. So, um, And I've got to admit my riding skills were very questionable back then. So uh, <laughs> I, I, was, I was blessed to be in the right place at the right time. The Oakley Plate's been a good race for you because you won it again in 2003 on River Dove for Matthew Ellerton. Yeah, that's right, it has. It's been, um, I've had a lot of luck in a lot of the sprint races uh, over over the years and uh, just, um, like I said, uh, you know, right place, right time and uh, I wasn't riding a lot for Matthew Ellerton at the time and uh, picked up the ride on River Dove and, uh, yeah, it's another big thrill. And you won the new market handicap on Mukhtar in 1994. So that was a lovely double on, on the same horse, Oakley Plate Newmarket. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was still an apprentice. So, again, Mark Riley, um, can't thank him and his family enough. They, they really looked after me and uh, put me on in the big races. And uh, like I said, I don't, think, uh, I don't think there would have been too many that would have put me on back then. So it was, uh, I, was, I was a very lucky boy. 
Steve, I recall you're running second uh, in another new market on Rubatano, trained by Brian Mayfield Smith. Yeah, no, he yeah he won he won the new market, um, Rubatano. Just oh, I beg your uh, pardon. yes, he did too. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he went across the line. I think with about ten others. I think there's about a, a, a long a long neck, a half length or something between ten or twelve of us, and mm. I was lucky enough that uh, he had his nose in front and. Brian Mayfield Smith was a marvellous trainer, and I actually tried getting on one of his other horses in the race, Prince Rubiton, and uh, mm. he'd already given away that ride. And he, he rang me late and said, uh, "I've got another one there, Rubitano, you can ride." And uh, yeah, and he got the job done. He ended up being a superstar of a horse, so uh, I was lucky to get on him at the time as well. Steve, I think a lot of people have forgotten that you spent the last year of your apprenticeship with another trainer, Mick Kent. Yeah, I did. I. Um, Mark and I had a little bit of a falling out. I was obviously young and probably wasn't appreciating what he was doing for me and uh, probably a bit rude now that I look back on it, but uh, mm. I thought it was an opportunity at the time. Mark was quite, a, a, how would I say, um, when it came to riding-wise, he was quite aggressive and uh, wanted me to ride him out, which which really suits me now that, I, now that I look back. And Mick Kent was the total opposite. So I thought with a, with a year to go in my time, it would be a good opportunity to get more skills um, because, you know, like I said, my, my riding was, was only pretty average really when I look back. So um, it was a good opportunity and uh, I spent my last year there and, and had quite a bit of success there also. You had only one ride on Divine Madonna for Mark Kavanagh for a great win in a Group 1, the Emirates Stakes of 2006. She came from way back in the field and it was a terrific win. I don't think you ever rode her again, Steve. <laughs> no, I don't know what was going on there. I'll have to talk to Kev about that one. <laughs> um, Kev obviously ended up having Michael Rod as his stable jockey. So um, yeah, but look, she was she was amazing. You know, she she basically came from last, circled the field. Um, you know, she was an amazing mare, amazing mare. You won three more Group Ones after that, or she did. Uh, Divine Madonna, ridden in two of them by Michael Rod, and uh, another one by Glenn Boss. Yeah, like I said, she she ended up going on to be, uh, uh, you know, a fantastic mare, race mare. Steve, I'll get you to stand by there for one moment while we take a little break on the podcast. Back in a moment with Stephen Bastard. For over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most dealings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for Group 1 wins and the only auction house to sell a Group 1 winning two-year-old. They sold four, in fact. I'm proud to align myself with Inglis, number one in its field. Talking to top Melbourne jockey Stephen Baster, and Steve, you were pretty chuffed to win the Galaxy in Sydney for Paul Perry on a horse called Proprietor. I think you'd ridden him in Melbourne previously. Yeah, I'd, I'd ridden for Paul over the years when they brought horses down to Melbourne and uh, got the call up to go ride him. And I probably hadn't had a lot of luck in Sydney. And uh, so it was a good opportunity. And um, I remember the win well. He, he uh, was quite impressive for the horse and, yeah, managed to get me my uh, group group one winner in Sydney. We mentioned Aqua de Moore in the introduction. This was your first group one winner for Gay. A uh, really, really good mare, Aquid de Moore. You rode her quite a number of times for only one win, but that win was in the right race, the Futurity Stakes. Yeah, I, 
I've got a soft spot for Aquadamore because uh, I remember ringing Gay and saying uh, she was a bit of a barrier rogue and I, I rang Gay and said, look, if I come and uh, spend a bit of time with her and uh, try and fix her barrier problems is my only chance of riding her. And Gay said, yep, that would be fantastic. So I started going into Flemington riding her most mornings and I found her the most beautiful horse to ride and uh, she was so relaxed and there's some practice barriers there at Flemington that I used to I used to work her on a morning and then take her back through the practice barriers and stand there in the barriers on her and she'd rub her head against the side and, you know, she was like a cat purring in the barriers. You know, she'd stand mm. there so happy. However, it had come to race day and she'd get in there and she'd get claustrophobic and get nervous and just sit down. And uh, I've never had a horse do it since and I've never seen one, but she just used to sit down, you know, sit like mm. a dog in the barriers and... Uh, it was, you know, every day she'd be different and uh, I was just lucky the day of the futurity. She was well-behaved, did everything right and uh, she, she was she was a star when she did everything right. So she didn't improve much, Steve. That habit persisted. Yeah, it was just a nervous thing, I think, because, you know, on a morning at Flemington I could I could take her and stand her in there all day and she wouldn't wouldn't worry at all. So obviously the nerves got to a race day and... Uh, she knew it was it was game on, and uh, she used to just fresh a little bit in the ga- in the barriers. Mm. Do you know uh, one of her progeny won a race at Randwick yesterday? Aqua Divina came from well back and stormed home. There you go, there you go. Well, she's got a soft spot in my heart, and uh, yeah, I'll always remember her well. Well, it was very pleasing to see Awesome Rock win the Group One Emirates a couple of years ago because he'd won the Australian Cup about eight months earlier, only to lose it on protest. I know you were shell-shocked that day. Yeah, it was hard to take that. That um, You know, it's uh, I came back to scale and the owners had been massive supporters of mine and uh, had really pushed for me to stay on the horse when, you know, he'd had quite a few riders over the years and uh, I'd won a race on him oh, I think at Sandown when he was a three-year-old and then I didn't ride him for about a year and he didn't have a lot of luck in his races and um, luckily the owners said to Leon and Troy, you know, can we can we have Steve on him and, and uh, yeah, then uh, obviously we got to the Australia Cup and uh, we went over the line first and uh, <laughs> mm. it was all, all celebrations and uh, then I came back to scale and a few of the boys said to me when I walked back in the room, unbeknown to me that uh, I'd interfered with, with another runner and, uh, yeah, so uh, we lost it on protest, which uh, which hurt, definitely hurt. Anyway, you you more than compensated by winning the Emirates about eight months later and, you know, for the owners, uh, you, you must have been extremely happy on their behalf. Yeah, that's right. Um, obviously, it's uh, it was a big year that year. The, the prize money stepped up to $2 million and, uh just everything went right in the race. You know, we just got a, a lovely sit behind the leader and uh, just everything went right. And I think it was meant to be. And uh, like I said, the owner, Stan, had, had been solid with me and to get a Group 1 win in, in such a big race was was huge. It was a big celebration. And special mention, Steve, of Pino, the Piero filly you rode to victory in the 2017 Victoria Oaks. Connections have decided to sell her to overseas interests and she was never seen again. Yeah, which is which is quite sad, obviously, because she's um, she started off her racing in Melbourne, and I and I rode her pretty much right the way through, and 
she always showed us that she had amazing ability, but we always thought she was obviously out of an Oaks winner, so we obviously thought she was going to stay. And it took a little while for the penny to drop. And then uh, one day at Flemington, we we just sat in behind him in an 1,800-metre race, and she came around the turn and got held up a little bit. And as soon as she saw daylight, away she went. And she was a star and obviously went on to win the Oaks. And, you know, a lot went wrong in the Oaks, and she was just too good for him. You know, so I think uh, it's a shame we don't get to see her again because she, she was an absolute star. Steve, you were a late starter in the marriage stakes. You married a <laughs> jockey, Melissa Walters, who rode quite a few winners herself, including half a dozen in the metropolitan area, and you were pleased when Melissa decided to give it away. Yeah, yeah. I had a few false starts in the marriage stakes, and then uh, <laughs> lucky enough for me, I came back from Singapore and uh, met Melissa, and uh, she'd been the one I'd been looking for, John, and... Uh, Luckily, uh, within about a year, we got married and we've got two little kids now. And, yeah, Melissa was uh, also a jockey. Um, and, yeah, I've got to admit, mate, it was, it was, pretty, hard, it was pretty hard to watch a race ride. I, I didn't like sitting in the room watching her ride. So I was rather happy when we had the yeah. kids. And, uh, you know, I must admit it's something that she enjoys doing. But it's, uh, now I know how my close family feel when they're watching your race ride. It can be a little bit nervous at times. And Melissa would understand your feelings exactly on those nights when you come home from the races and put your fist through the wall. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty good when I get home, John. I, uh, I get over it pretty quick. So um, by the time I'm home, I'm happy to see the kids and Melissa and uh, whether I've had a good day or a bad day, um, I try and keep that separate. Yep. Now, those two little girls you're talking about, Penny, who's two, and Izzy, who's three, surely potential jockeys. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. But, um, again, I don't think I'd be overly keen. But um, they're, they're definitely going to be jockey size or fun size, you could say. They're going to be small little girls and uh, – um, you know, I'd, I'd always wanted children, so um, I'm 43 now and uh, they're still only babies, so I was a late starter and mm. it's going to be uh, – I love watching them grow up and, uh, yeah, they're, um, they they make my life complete, John, so um, I don't know about a race riding. I think I'd uh, <laughs> the nerves would be too much. A few years ago, you decided on a sea change and you based yourself in Brisbane for about eight months riding exclusively for the late Tubby Turner, who passed away not all that long ago. Now, Steve, the reason I bring this up is the fact uh, that you had a, an association with a horse trained by Tubby Turner at that time that you say to this day was the best you've ever been on. It was a grey stallion by the name of Line Hunter. He only had eight starts for three wins, and in 1997, you won a Doomben sprint on him by a very big margin and then back to Sydney to run second in the Galaxy. He could really go, that bloke. Yeah, I, I thought he was a star and I was, I was uh, you know, I came out of my time in Melbourne and uh, I was probably a bit lazy and a bit cocky and uh, doing a lot of things wrong and the opportunities were drying up and I was losing faith in the game and it was all, all looking back, it was all to do with my own attitude. And luckily I, I met Tubby Turner when he was down here and he offered me a job in Brisbane. To He said he had a small team of about eight to ten horses that were really well bred and one of them was Lion Hunter. Um, would I be interested in coming and working for him for a little while? And um, yeah, I ended up spending eight months in Brisbane and 
had a great time and really enjoyed my riding up there. And didn't do a lot of riding, but had a, quite a lot of success. Um, we had a very good team. Uh, Tubby's son Kurt and I worked worked together very well, and I, I think that got me my passion back. And I ended up coming back to Melbourne and and getting going again, really good because I, I decided to get off my butt and actually do some work. So it was a blessing in disguise. And Lion Hunter was without a doubt one of the best horses I've ridden. Now, what happened to him, Steve? He only lasted eight runs. Yeah, look, we, we decided to put a tongue tie on him because he was a little bit thick in the wind, so we just thought we'd give it a try one morning. And it was it, he could be a handful to ride sometimes, and he just overreached and, and, and hit his tendon, and it just never came right. So mm. it was a shame such a little thing um, could stop a career of such a, such a great horse. Jockeys who've influenced your career – are not hard to pick. Now, when you were growing up in Queensland, obviously Mick Dittman was your hero. When you finally came back to Victoria to become an apprentice, your heroes were Michael Clark, who was number one jockey at the time for Colin Hayes, Darren Gauchy, who has been an inspiration for so many other young riders, and later, of course, Damien Oliver. Yeah, that's right. And there's also Greg Childs, and um, you know, there's a, a lot of jockeys down here that... Uh you know, I used to just think uh, when I was a kid, you just think, oh, they were stars, you know. But uh, when I look back, they were they were hardworking guys that uh, turned up every day and were amazing jockeys. You know, they they rode some great horses and just uh, yeah, I obviously looked up to them and uh, I still see the gouts at the races all the time now. And uh, he's he's a legend of the turf and uh, look, it brings it brings a smile to my face just to think about how lucky I've been to to be riding under, under some of them guys. You've had some great associations with different trainers. Mark Riley, we've discussed. You actually rode for Colin Hayes and his sons, Peter and David, and you tell me that you and Peter were having a really good trot right up until that tragic aviation accident that claimed his life. Yeah, that's right. I've ridden for the Hayes family since I was, since I was a kid, and... Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd been away a couple of times and I'd, I'd come back and, and David had gotten to Hong Kong and Peter had taken over and I just started having a lot of luck and ride, riding their horses and it was just one of them things, everything would just win and I think we had like a one in three strike rate there and, and things were flying and uh, Peter was a great guy, we lived not far from each other and um, I still remember I was riding one, riding one for him in the Oaks. Uh, Philly that ended up running third in the Oaks, and he came into the jockey's room and uh, the start of the day and gave me a motorbike magazine because <laughs> he was into his motorbikes and I was into my motorbikes to help me with my nerves for the day. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he was a psychologist, um, the late Peter Hayes. Yeah, he was. He's, he's a very smart, very kind man, and. Uh, um, obviously uh, missed by everybody and uh, it was a tragic ac- tragic accident and uh, very sad. And, of course, Leon and Troy Corstens have been wonderful supporters right up to um, as recently as Friday night when you won for them on Runson. Yeah, Leon, Leon and I have had a love-hate relationship for a long time <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I've been good mates with Troy since I was a kid. And, uh, yeah, look... Um, they're a family that I'm quite close with and we've had a lot of ups and downs over the years but it goes to show that that's a true friendship you know we uh, we can have a blue and get over it very quickly and 
they're good supporters of mine and uh, I really enjoy riding winners for them and I know a lot of their owners these days and, uh, yeah, they're, they're a really, really good family. Now, Steve, it's not generally known, certainly not in New South Wales, that you are the president of the Victorian Jockeys Association or chairman, I think is the title you're given. But you've been involved with the association for a lot longer than two years. Yeah, look, I think I've, I've, I've been a director of the VJA probably for about 20 years now and um, Nifty Wilson was was the president chairman for for all of that time and he retired uh, two or three years ago and, and I took over. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's something I enjoy doing. Um, it's, it's, there's not a lot of love there doing the job, but uh, I do enjoy it and I'm, I'm quite passionate about uh Helping, helping the jockeys with with a, a number of things, um, especially the safety side of things. And you know, we've we've had Des O'Keefe who did a wonderful job, and now we've got Matthew Highland. I don't have to do a lot of work there, but um, I'm, I'm on the phone to the, to the most days. And uh, yeah, look in Victoria here. Oh look, racing Victoria, they've they've really looked after us. You know, I think we've got some amazing support, amazing safety. Um, Looking back 20 years ago, it's, it, how it's improved here is is unbelievable and uh, a credit to everybody that's worked towards what it is now. Well, Steve, as I mentioned earlier, you'll be tickled pink runaway, got a kilo and a half penalty for the cup. It might just sneak you in and it would put him into the race on 52, which would be a lovely riding weight for you. Yeah, my, I, um, I'm really looking forward to it and... Look, when I won the Geelong Cup, I didn't get home till the next day at lunchtime, so my wife might be a bit scared if we win a Melbourne Cup. So <laughs> You'll go bush for a week. <laughs> You'd think at 43 years of age I would have grown up, but uh, look, the Geelong boys, uh, you know, they, they took me out that night. We had a great night. So to get into the Melbourne Cup, I think uh, it'd be a celebration, win, lose or draw. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to it and fingers crossed, uh, for Gay and Adrian as well, obviously they've been great supporters. So if, if we could get a runner in the Melbourne Cup, it'd be huge. And your best score so far in the Melbourne Cup? You've had a handful of rides in the race. Yeah, I've had quite a few rides. I'd, I'd be thinking I probably had about ten rides. Um, mm. I ran third um, for Aidan O'Brien on a horse called Marla, um, which was a massive thrill. So uh, you know, just to ride in the race is massive, and uh, gives me gives me chills just to ride in the race. So. I'd love to go a bit closer than the third day, John. It'd be amazing. Steve, I really appreciate your time. It's great to catch up. You're on a, a real roll at the moment. And uh, one thing about Stephen Baster, win, lose or draw, there's a smile bubbling somewhere under the surface. <laughs> I hope so, John. I hope so. Great to talk, Steve. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And this podcast has been produced by Supernova Sound. For over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most yearlings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for Group 1 wins and the only auction house to sell a Group 1 winning two-year-old. They sold four, in fact. I'm proud to align myself with Inglis, number one in its field. 